right. Good morning. All right. Uh, yeah, for those that do not know me, my name is Wes. Uh, I'm a pastoral assistant here at Red Village Church, and uh, I'm grateful to be opening up the Word in Philippians. So uh, if you go ahead, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians 1.12. Philippians 1.12. So when the elders decided that we're going to work through Philippians this summer... Uh, Rob had asked those of us who are preaching if we had any uh, preferred passage. And as I skimmed through Philippians and uh, prayerfully asked the Lord what I uh, perhaps could preach on, uh, I immediately chose this text because it centers around uh, the gospel and upon sharing the gospel. And that is something that I greatly enjoy talking about and uh, training people in. So. Uh, and also, uh, Rob did an excellent job last week in uh, opening up the Word and just really laying out the groundwork uh, for the book of Philippians. So I'm grateful for all the guys that I'll be filling in this summer. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and read the passage, and then I'll ask for the Lord's help, and uh, then we'll work through this passage verse by verse. So Philippians 1, verse 12, says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having, uh, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, only that in every way, whether in, pre whether in pre pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, in the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and I pray, God, as we study this passage in Philippians, um, that you would speak uh, to your people. Um, help me to um, work through this passage uh, that uh, you may increase and that I may de decrease. Uh, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, Philippians uh, 1, 12 through 20 has a central theme on the advancement of the gospel. And within that, it is a constant and there's many things that are constants within our world. There are constants that, when I say constants, I mean things that exist and continue to perpetually be in our lives, um, like the rotation of the earth. Um, this morning, the sun rose, and by 8.30 p.m. tonight, the sun will set. Um, the moon will rise and work its way around the night sky, and then it will again pass beyond the horizon. Gravity is a constant. Gravity remains a force pulling upon us at all places and at all times, 
here on earth, and you're sitting in your chair this morning uh, enjoying uh, some homemade donuts, actually, and uh, coffee uh, because gravity remains a constant. Um, construction in the summer of Wisconsin. That's a constant. Uh, every year, summer comes, and what follows? Construction. So, uh, uh, your heart beating in your chest, um, this is a constant. Um, from the day that you're born till the day that you die, your heart continues to beat in your chest. Um, a constant that allows you to live and breathe and be alive. So, today, our text focuses on the advancement of the gospel. One of the reasons that Paul writes the letter of Philippians is to assure the church at Philippi that the gospel is advancing and will continue to advance. So as we work through this text this morning, keep in mind the advancement of the gospel is a constant. The gospel is spreading across the globe, moving from one place, uh, moving from place to place by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will not and cannot be stopped. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Right now, God is convicting the world of sin by the Holy Spirit and sending his people forward to proclaim the gospel to all tribes and tongues all around the world. This is a constant, and God says he will be exalted among the nations and throughout all the earth. The question is whether you will choose to be a part of that constant and how you will do it. Keep this in mind as we work through the text. So look with me at verse 12. Paul tells the Philippian church, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Now, this more than likely would have been a pretty big surprise to the church of Philippi as the elders read this letter. Um, the Philippian church and many other believers in association with Paul knew that he had been imprisoned in Rome. Um, we don't know how long Paul had been in prison in Rome at this point, but we know it was long enough for the word to spread about his imprisonment. And similar to today's culture, Paul's imprisonment would not be seen as an honorable act. Um, but rather, it would be a very shameful thing, right, for Paul to be in prison. And we must remember that the culture of uh, the times at this point uh, in the Roman world was a honor and shame-based culture. So it's very different even from the culture that we're living in in America that's very individualistic. Um, this meant that Paul's imprisonment would have brought much shame uh, to not only his name, but also to all of his family, and to all he's associated with, especially those who were Christians in association with Paul. Um, Paul would have been viewed as a lawbreaker and a rebel in the eyes of society, bringing a possible negative tone to the rising religion of Christianity in the eyes of some. So it's natural for Christians like the Church of Philippi to assume that Paul's imprisonment was now a roadblock to the gospel continuing. But Paul makes it clear that this is not hindering the gospel, but rather it is advancing the gospel. Paul goes into detail on how the gospel is advancing in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul informs the Philippian church that the spreading of the gospel didn't stop once Paul was imprisoned. 
when Paul says the gospel has become, to, become known to the whole imperial guard, he is referencing the elite Roman military force charged with protecting the Roman emperor. And most likely, those that, the, the guards that are watching over Paul during his imprisonment. This likely meant that Paul had continued to share the gospel with each guard that rotated through to watch Paul. Uh, Paul makes sure that the guards and everyone else know that he was imprisoned because of his faith in Christ, because he is in Christ. Paul did not view his imprisonment as a negative thing or as a shameful thing. Rather, Paul remained optimistic, recognizing that those who hear about his imprisonment will understand it's because Paul is in Christ. If you're taking notes, write this down. When opposition came, Paul didn't stop identifying with Christ and sharing the gospel. Paul understood that the advancement of the gospel is a constant, and his imprisonment is only another opportunity to further proclaim Christ. Paul also understood that because he is in Christ, he too will suffer for Christ's sake. Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So when opposition to the gospel or to your faith in Christ comes your way, how do you handle it? Do you become discouraged? Do you remain silent? Do you identify with Christ? Or do you continue to share the gospel? Paul is an example to us, just as much as he was an example to the Philippian church. Paul embraced opposition and persecution as an opportunity to proclaim Christ to those who opposed him. This is how we are called to respond to opposition as well. The city of Madison is generally not an affirming place of the gospel and of Christianity. Rather, in recent years, not only Madison, but all of America has continued to move more and more opposed to Christianity. We don't live in a society where Christians in America are imprisoned for their faith in Christ, but we may not be that far off from it. So when your coworkers or your neighbors or even family oppose Christ, do you identify with him and share the gospel, knowing that the gospel will advance? Or do you shy back in discouragement or even deny Christ? As I said before, we choose if we will be part of the advancement of the gospel or not. And as Paul demonstrates for us, we must identify with Christ and keep sharing Christ. Verse 14 says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence, not lost confidence, but gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. And they dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. This is totally opposite of how one would think other Christians would respond to Paul's shameful imprisonment. So why is it that they gain confidence? Well, let me put this into perspective. As most of you know, uh, me and Pastor Aaron, Aaron Joswag, uh, visited our missionaries in the Middle East uh, last fall in an area where there is very little presence of Christianity and there's uh, a much greater risk of persecution. Uh, one of our missionaries told us a story about sharing the gospel with one of their more extreme Muslim neighbors that, in response, told them with a very serious look on his face, 
If a Muslim converts to Christianity, he should be immediately killed for doing so, and that he himself would kill him. Yet, this missionary has continued to share Christ, not only with him, but with all of their neighbors, despite the dangers that this may place him and his family in. Now, upon hearing this story, uh, was I then discouraged to stop sharing the gospel myself? Absolutely not. Rather, knowing that this missionary is today risking his life and his family's life for the sake of the gospel, it encourages me all the more to share the gospel where I'm at. And I hope it encourages you as well. In the same way, Christians who heard of Paul's imprisonment also gained confidence in the Lord and dared even more to speak the word fearlessly. Paul's example in Scripture should do the same for our confidence in the Lord, leading us to identify with Christ and speak the gospel fearlessly in Madison. For the gospel is advancing. Look at verses 15 through 17 in the text. Paul identifies two different groups of Christians with two different motivations for sharing the gospel. Paul says the first group preaches the gospel out of envy and rivalry, which go hand in hand. This means that the first group of Christians were envious of Paul's ministry and reputation and most likely desired to have the qualities and attention that Paul had within the early church. This group proclaimed the gospel out of rivalry as if, there were, as if they were in competition with Paul and desired to be better than him in ministry and in popularity with other Christians. Paul then shares the motivation of this first group in verse 17, saying that they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Thinking that by sharing the gospel, Paul might get into further trouble in his imprisonment. Now, clearly, Paul's imprisonment had caused a division between the Christians uh, that supported him and between the Christians that opposed him. Now, Paul doesn't say anything more about this first group, but clearly, this is a terrible motivation for sharing the gospel. They're not only proclaiming Christ out of selfishness and out of self-gain, but they're also doing it with the hopes that the very one who brought them the gospel would then get into further trouble which most likely would be death, since Paul was already in enough trouble being in prison. So this alone makes me wonder if this first group are even Christians. I mean, just think about this for a minute. These people believe in a God who loves his creation with an unfailing love, who poured out his entire life for others through Christ, and not only that, but then died the most painstaking death imaginable on a cross so that those he loves can be reconnected to God and be with him for eternity. The people that believe in this God and claim to be changed by him, then in return, share this message with others in hopes that the one that brought this message to them might die in prison and that they might rise in popularity and become better. If you're not confused, you should be. Like, this makes absolutely no sense. Yet, Christians today are still sharing Christ out of selfish ambition. 1 Peter 3.15, which I think this is an excellent verse to memorize, says, Be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. As Christians, 
we need to be sharing out of heart of love. And it does not make sense for a Christian to understand and receive the love of God through Christ and then share that message without love. The second group of Christians that Paul identifies is those who preach the gospel out of goodwill. Goodwill in this passage is the Greek word eudakia uh, that means choice out of delight or pleasure. So now what exactly are they delighting in when they're sharing about Christ? Um, Well, if one is sharing the gospel out of delight, there's only one thing a person can be delighting in with regards to the gospel, and that is Christ. So the second group preaches the gospel out of a delight for Christ. And Paul says in verse 16 that in doing so, their motivation is love. If you want to get a good understanding of biblical love, then you can listen to Aaron's sermon that he preached just a couple weeks ago on 1 Corinthians 13. But essentially, preaching out of love means it's not for selfish gain, um, but rather it's for a genuine care for the person that you're proclaiming the gospel to. It is the opposite of a focus on self. Rather, it's a focus on God and his love that now moves a person towards loving others. For God is the one who first loved us. Paul says that this group also proclaims the gospel knowing that Paul has been appointed for the defense of the gospel. Therefore, this group of Christians is in support of Paul knowing that God chose Paul for the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. These Christians recognize Paul is in prison because he is in Christ. And those who are in Christ can also expect persecution for the sake of Christ. These Christians also are not afraid to identify with Paul in his imprisonment because they're not worried about their own reputation and identifying with Christ. Rather, they're sharing out of a delight for Christ and love for those around them and love for Paul, who has been appointed by God for the defense of the gospel. For those here who are Christians, what group do you fall under? Do you share the gospel out of goodwill towards Christ and love for him and those around you? Or do you share the gospel out of envy or rivalry or out of obligation or any motivation that isn't love? Are you focused on loving the lost sinners around you with the gospel message? Or are you more focused on yourself and what others might think of you if you share the gospel with them? There are true motives and there are false motives for proclaiming Christ. One reflects the image of Christ and one does not. In a city and country that is constantly looking for false motives within Christians, let us be a church who proclaims Christ out of a heart of love for Christ and for the lost around us. After Paul distinguishes these two groups, he then makes an interesting statement in verse 18. He says, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. Now, I want to point out two things that Paul is not saying here. Um, Paul is not saying that it doesn't matter what motives we have in sharing the gospel. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have differentiated between these true and false motives. Um, What Paul is saying is that even though there are those proclaiming Christ from false motives, What matters most is that Christ is proclaimed. Paul understands that the advancement of the gospel is a constant, and although there are those sharing from false motives, 
God is sovereign. God will use even those proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition to make himself known. For he is the author and perfecter of salvation, not the person who shares. Second thing that Paul is not saying is that he's not saying it doesn't matter what kind of Christ is proclaimed, um, just as long as it has the tagline of Christ on it. Um, although these, these two groups are uh, divided on their motives, um, it's it's clear that they were both proclaiming the same Christ that they had received. Um, the theology of Christ, or Christology, it matters deeply. Paul is saying that what matters is that Christ of the Scriptures is proclaimed. This is the one who is fully God and fully man, triune with the Father and Holy Spirit, died and rose again, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who will return to rule and reign and judge all of creation. This is the Christ that Paul says, regardless of the motivation one might have, um, as long as Christ is proclaimed, God will use it to advance the gospel. Above any motivation or fault um, that we as sinful witnesses may have, what matters most is that Christ is proclaimed. Looking back at verse 18, Paul knowing that the gospel will advance, whether from true or false motives, says, In this I rejoice. This is the first time that the word rejoice shows up in the book of Philippians. But keep in mind, this is a central theme that Paul will return to all throughout this letter. In the book of Philippians, Paul says the word rejoice eight times and the word joy six times, using the words related to joy a total of 18 times, which... For this small letter with four chapters, this is, this is a lot. Um, so the first time that Paul mentions the word rejoice, he does so in relation to himself as giving an example um, to the Philippian church and to all who read it, what it means to truly have joy and rejoice in the Lord. So keep in mind, Paul is currently in prison, isolated from any other believer. His future is uncertain. His circumstances are not desirable and very uncomfortable. Yet, Paul did absolutely nothing wrong. He didn't deserve to be in prison. He doesn't deserve to be treated like this as a Roman citizen. His ministry has been taken away from him, and now he faces death all day long. Yet, Paul says, in this, I rejoice. How could Paul rejoice? Like, what on earth is there for him to rejoice about? Is Paul just, like, lying to himself and pretending like everything's okay? Um, I'm just going to make it through? Absolutely not. When Paul says, in this, he's referring to Christ being proclaimed. Paul understands his circumstances do not change the fact that God remains on the throne and that the gospel will continue to advance. God is still with him, and will not forsake him. He is still the God of salvation who will rescue all who call upon his name. God will remain faithful to Paul till the very end. Not even imprisonment can stop the Lord Almighty. And in this, Paul says, I will rejoice. In doing so, Paul gives the Philippian church and all who read this letter, including us today, an incredible example of what it means to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of their circumstances. 
Looking at verse 19, Paul goes on to say, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul now doubles down on the fact that he will continue to rejoice and further explains why. He will continue to rejoice because he knows that the proclamation of Christ will lead to his salvation. Now, salvation here could mean either salvation in Christ um, from sin and death or salvation from being imprisoned in Rome. Um, Or it could mean both. It makes most sense that Paul is referring to his deliverance from being in prison since he says this salvation will come through the prayers of the Philippian church and from the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, that is, the Holy Spirit. Either way, Paul is certain that God would bring about salvation. He trusted God would deliver him and did not lose hope in the God who saves. Which, uh, Paul, in fact, was released from this prison um, after writing this letter to the Philippians. So, uh, also, in this verse, uh, Job actually, er, sorry, Paul actually quotes Job 13 um, when he says, This will lead to my salvation. Um, it's likely that Paul probably had Job in mind when he was imprisoned. Um, that his circumstances weren't the result of God's punishment, but was a means to further glorify God. Only now, Paul knew this deliverance would come about through the power of the prayer by the saints and from the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul recognized that even while in prison, he was not alone. He had the prayers of the saints imploring to God for his release and the spirit of the living God inside him to help him, to comfort him, and to guide him. Notice that Paul does not instruct the Philippian church to pray for him. Rather, he just knows that upon reading this letter, the church would be praying for him, and, or perhaps they were already praying for him. And what a comfort and joy it must have been for Paul to know that his brothers and sisters in Christ were praying for him on a regular basis. As the body of Christ here at Red Village, we too should reflect this model of prayer for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. For those that are in need of deliverance, whether it be from sickness or hardship or sin, we must be praying for them. For the missionaries you see on the wall to my left, we must be praying for them, imploring on their behalf that the gospel would advance through their ministry and that God would continue to sustain them every day. If you didn't know this already, actually every Sunday before service at 9.30 a.m., there is a prayer meeting that happens in the mother's room right back there um, where all who come take about 15 minutes to pray together about the needs uh, that we have in and outside of the church. And I, I greatly encourage you like, to come to these. Like, th- this is a means by which, if you're able to, um, come a little early to service and, and be able to join the church in prayer for one another and for our missionaries. And so there's also some prayer cards uh, that are on the back table at the Next Steps table uh, that have multiple cards from our missionaries, and there's also a little keychain um, with all the missionaries that are on that keychain um, that Amanda Peterson made, and it's a really uh, great means that you can take home with you to remind you to be praying for the missionaries and to flip through. Um, so I, I encourage you to grab one of those on your way out, too. But. Um, The second means of Paul's deliverance uh, that he mentions here would come from the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
uh, which is otherwise known as the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that no matter what lie ahead, the Holy Spirit would guide him and give him the words to speak, whether on trial or with simply sharing the gospel to the imperial guards or anyone else. To all who place their faith in Christ, God will fill them with his Holy Spirit to renew their hearts and bring them into fellowship with God as a guarantee of the salvation that's to come for eternity. And this is an incredible promise, um, an incredible gift of God that he gives us is his presence. Jesus said this in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. To those who are in Christ, whatever distress or trial you may find yourself in, know that the Holy Spirit lives within you to comfort you and to embolden you for proclaiming the gospel. He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding, and this is readily available to us at all times. He is a sufficient and all-powerful source for our deliverance. The last verse of our text is verse 20. Paul says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You can see that from the start of verse 12 uh, to where we're ending in verse 20, Paul has been building the implications of the advancement of the gospel uh, up until this point. Not only is the gospel advancing in prison, but it's also causing others to dare even more to speak the gospel fearlessly. And not only that, but whether by false motives or true motives, Christ is being proclaimed. And the gospel continues to advance, in which Paul will rejoice. And not only that, but the advancement of the gospel will lead to Paul's salvation through prayer and help of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but because the gospel is advancing... This will not end in shame. Rather, Christ will be highly honored in Paul's body, whether by life or by death. Paul is zooming out for us to see the big picture with the implications of the advancement of the gospel. When Paul says, my eager expectation and hope, he's not saying that I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that this doesn't end up in utter shame for me. Like, no, that, that is not... Paul's attitude here, nor was what he's saying. Um, Paul is not wishfully hoping. Like Rather, Paul's eager expectation and hope is anchored in the promise of God through Jesus Christ. Just as Paul said earlier in verse 6 uh, that Rob had preached on, he had said, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul knows that God will continue to glorify his name through his circumstances and that the gospel will advance. The unbelieving Jews may see Paul's faith as shameful. Society may see Paul's faith as shameful. And even some believers may even see Paul's faith and imprisonment as shameful. But before, well, when Christ returns to judge both the living and the dead, and Paul stands before Christ, there will only be glory to Christ for Paul's imprisonment and for the advancement of the gospel. As we'll see and study next week, Paul's citizenship is not here on earth. 
Rather, he is a citizen of heaven. So now, as always, with all courage, Paul says, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the heart of Paul's mission, his motivation, his purpose, and everything that he does and says. That Christ would be highly honored, worshipped, glorified in his body here on earth, whether by life or by death. Paul knows this is why the gospel will continue to advance. Christ will be glorified, both now and for eternity. And with all courage, he will boldly proclaim Christ until his last breath. For death is not the end, but rather it is the beginning of honoring and worshiping Christ for eternity. My question to you as we finish this passage is how does the certainty of the advancement of the gospel affect your life? For Paul, it was everything. He knew he would not be ashamed in the end. If you are here and you're not a Christian, I'm really grateful that you are here. But if you go through this life without repenting of your sin and believing in the Lord Jesus, there will be deep shame and remorse when you stand before God. If Christ is not glorified in your body here on earth, then he will not be glorified in your life at all. And when I say glorified, I mean you are pointing everyone around you to Jesus. You are identifying with Jesus every chance that you get. It's not enough to just be kind to people, um, but reject Jesus as your Savior. None of us are good enough. All have sinned and fall short. But to all who repent and believe in Christ, there is forgiveness of sin. For those here who are Christians, the advancement of the gospel must be at the forefront of our minds. We must leverage our lives for the proclamation of Christ. With all courage, we must seek to have Christ be highly honored in our lives in all that we do with those that God has providentially placed around us. Whether by life or death, we will not be ashamed about anything. For the proclamation of Christ will go forward, and no matter what our neighbors or friends or even family think of us, this will result in glory to our God. The gospel will advance. We must keep this at the center of our lives, even through difficulty and suffering. So let's encourage one another to proclaim Christ. Like when we gather here on Sundays, like this would be one of the things that's on our hearts and minds is to actually encourage one another to share Christ. Pray that God would provide opportunities to share the gospel for our church and that we would share out of a heart of love for the lost. And let us also rejoice together that we serve a God who saves and will continue to save through the proclamation of the gospel until Christ's return. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. It's challenging, God, and we are so apt uh, to become sidetracked and to um, be self-consumed and to lose sight um, of your mission and the advancement of the gospel. Uh, God, help us as a church to continue to have the advancement of the gospel at the forefront of our minds. Um, in everything that we do and say, God, that we would be seeking and asking, God, that you would do a work in those around us and in those you've placed around us to 
share Christ, that they might also believe and be saved, um, just as God, each of us, have been saved by your grace um, and by your hand. Um, Lord, help us to be a church um, that continues to proclaim Christ out of love. And I pray for boldness, Lord, um, for each of us uh, as we leave here today. And I thank you, God, uh, for your spirit that will continue to fill us and lead us in doing so. And I thank you uh, that you are sovereign um, to advance your gospel for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.